The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. Uh, Thank you for joining me again for our second episode of God is Passing By. And it is taken from 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. At least that's the key verse. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. That is 2 Chronicles 16, 9. And it is an extraction from the life and times of King Asa, who was one of the uh, faithful kings um, in Judah, the southern kingdom. As was mentioned in my previous podcast, God is Passing By, the first episode, this verse, uh, as I mentioned, is extracted from Second Chronicles, chapter 16, and it was the response of the seer to King Asa when the king misplaced his confidence in the Syrian king for deliverance rather than Jehovah, as he had done previously when facing the Ethiopian million-man army belonging to Zira. So it, is, it really came in the form of a rebuke to King Asa because he did not uh, apply the lessons of faith that he obviously knew when he faced Zira and his million-man army. The king's life is the backdrop for a vital truth concerning um, touching the invisible. That is, the mystery of how a believer engages with the living God, especially in the hour of trial. And there are five components uh, to this paradigm, or what I consider to be a model of God's dealings with the men of faith. Uh, This paradigm is, uh, quote-unquote, a transitional event for faith to move from reliance on what is seen, what is tangible, and transient over to what is invisible and eternal. A movement from the transient and visible to the invisible and eternal. This is where we are introduced um, to what is considered to be a faith-growing moment. It's, it's, a, it's a spiritual paradigm. And when we look at the lives of the men of faith, men and women of faith, we will see the same patterns. Uh, and just a brief recapping of what uh, we had shared in the uh, first episode of God is Passing By. There is, of course, the, the go-ahead. 
followed by the promise or some reliance on a statement or promise of God, then followed by contrary circumstances, then followed by an awareness of God's presence, and then finally a stepping out. So there is a go-ahead, the promise, the rise of contrary circumstances, a growing awareness of the presence of God, and ultimately a stepping out in faith. Uh, the first decade of King Asa's reign, or I should say the first decade and a half of King Asa's reign, outlines this pattern. Okay, This is a divine pattern repeated throughout uh, the life of a disciple, and it's an establishment of a standard for living. This is God's standard for living, the standard for walking with God. The uh, devotee recognizes that uh, there are successive trials that may come into one's life, but these trials are designed to create a heightened awareness that God and God alone is at work. So be warned that these trials are not incidental. They are not incidental. This is not the sort of happenstance trial uh, forcing us to scurry for safe haven. This is the singular, narrow path that the disciple must walk if they would be seasoned in the ways of God. Again, not an incidental application of truth, but a life pattern and we're going to see this in, uh, as we examine King Asa's uh, first decade of his reign. So the go-ahead, and we'll find this in Second Chronicles 14, uh, the first seven verses. So the dawn of his reign experienced tranquility for approximately 10 years. And the peace, of course, was allowed by Jehovah. Okay, And this peace was the window of opportunity to... Number one, nullify apostasy. Two, resurrect the keeping of the law of Moses. Number three, to remove the clutter, what I call the clutter associated with idol worship. Idol altars, high places for idol worship, the statues, the sun images, all of the accoutrements of idol worship to cause Judah and Benjamin, the, the two faithful tribes, to restore the worship and service to Jehovah. So there were social norms that was part of the political plan as well. The fortifying of cities with walls, towers, gates, and bars. Uh, so we have the combination of these two agendas, the spiritual uh, agenda, if you will, and then we have the political agenda. And uh, so essentially, King Asa knew what, um, what the objectives of his agenda were. And that simply was, as I mentioned, remove all the accoutrements of Baal worship and provide protection in the cities for the two tribes. And he commanded both the people in Judah and Benjamin to seek the God of their fathers and to practice the law and commandments. So these are noble reforms, uh, both by King Asa and any of the, the faithful kings that were part of the uh, Judaic reign, the, the, the reign over Judah and Benjamin. 
And so that brings us now to the second part of this paradigm, and that is the promises. Uh, in Second Chronicles uh, verse 7, thereabouts, uh, we are told that Jehovah had given him rest. And he said to Judah, let us build these cities and surround them with walls and so forth and so on, while the land is yet before us. For we have sought Jehovah our God, we've sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So he knew what we are doing is within the will of God. King Asa seized the opportunity for uh, a few years of conflict, less um, uh, peace, so that he can, with the people, uh, initiate religious and social reform. And this awareness was perceived more than it was dynamic. And what do I mean by that? Well, um, uh, for example, the notion of now that today is quiet, let's take advantage of this and work to change the status quo. So it's like waking up and saying, oh, it's a sunny day, let's have a picnic. You're not waiting for the rain to come, to have the picnic, the recognition that the sun is out says to you, this is an opportune moment. Let's have a picnic. Let's go outside and set up, you know, put the blanket on the grass and bring the food and so forth. So they took advantage of what was obvious to them. There are no wars in the horizon. And this brief respite was provided by God. And so the resulting awareness spurred him to undertake these social reforms. And it was predicated, of course, on the law of Moses detailing how they should conduct themselves when in the land of Canaan. So they knew, okay, if they read the law, if the kings read the law uh, and wrote a copy of themselves uh, as one of the, the um, responsibilities as king, they would have recognized that if we do what the law prescribes, God will give us a measure of peace. He'll give us peace with our enemies and so forth. So the resulting awareness spurred them to undertake these social reforms. And it was predicated, of course, on the law of Moses, detailing how they should conduct themselves when they come into the land of Canaan. And also the infrastructure upgrade to fortify the cities with walls and towers and gates and bars and so forth was for their protection. And this was a foremost social agenda. He also knew that Jehovah had his hand in this time of peace and prosperity. This was, this was clear to him because twice in the narrative, the Spirit of God tells us that he said, we have sought Jehovah our God, we have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. And that's in verse 7. And they also, of course, built and prospered. So there was a clear recognition. God has blessed us. Let's take advantage of this. Now, for many of us, our Christian lives kind of stop right there. We are content with the blessing. Whether it be, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a great career, you know, a healthy family, um, you know, we experience you know, some of the, the blessings of being an American or whatever or wherever we may be on the earth. Okay, I don't know where these podcasts may be touching you, but you may be able to look at your life and circumstance and say, I've been blessed by God. And therefore, I take advantage and, and really love that. Love that. We, we want to stay in that realm of blessing. But it's at this point 
that there is a risk of complacency. The risk of complacency. And, and we, are, we are now entering into murky waters. So please note that in the first 10 years, the first decade, God allowed King Asa to have a go-ahead experience. An opportunity to undertake political, religious, social reforms, all of which were designed to provide the tribes, the two tribes, with the best environment to maintain spiritual acceptance with Jehovah. In other words, they're practicing the law and the commandments, and they're undertaking social reform to build and fortify the cities. It's a good thing. And we... They know we have accomplished his will, so he now can bless us. And this was needful. And this was promised as well in the law of Moses. Blessing predicated on obedience. That's a standard paradigm. Quote, we have sought him and he has given us rest. Verse 7. That's, that's, that's the point where complacency very often for the believer, for the disciple, sets in. The present awareness of their fidelity to this endeavor was what was pleasing to God. They knew this. This is the awareness that is so vitally needed in the life of any Christian and in any Christian endeavor. The removal of what is wrong, what is considered sinful, and the introduction of what is right, which is considered sanctification, a life trending towards greater holiness, greater walking, living within the will and, con- the will and confines of the Spirit of God. And the overarching awareness that this is pleasing to God is a good thing. It's a good thing. However, as I said, It is at this juncture that the risk of complacency sets in. Now, the scripture says at the end of uh, verse 7 that they built and prospered. Now, this complacency is not the case in these first few verses, these first 15 or so verses detailing the life and times of King Asa, the first decade and a half. No complacency here, and we will see. But I'm, I'm, I'm highlighting the fact that for the average Christian, this is where we often fail. I'm so sorry if I have to be very uh, succinct about the, the nature of the circumstance, but this is where we often fail. Why? Because many of us want this state of quietude to be the norm. And we believe that it, is the, it, it becomes evident proof that God has blessed us and approves of us. And the thinking is, well, if God has blessed me and approved of me, then this quietude will continue to be the norm. And all I have to do is continue what I have been doing. And there will be no crisis, no problems, no issues, no challenge. And because I'm prospering and experiencing the blessing of God, well, all must be well. I'm in the will of God. That, my friend, is flawed thinking in view of the pattern that God has established in the lives of the men and women of faith. Okay? In the view of their lives, the walk of faith, you can go to Hebrews chapter 11 
everyone noted there overcame something, but that's for another podcast. In, in a small measure, this, this view that if, if, if I'm experiencing quietude, I'm in the will of God, that's, that there's some, it, it's partially correct. But the notion that adverse circumstance or an adverse circumstance may signal the presence perhaps of sin or rebellion in our lives. We begin to conclude, well, if I'm experiencing challenge, a crisis, trial, well, maybe there's sin in my life. No, my friends, that may not always be the case if we are endeavoring to walk with God. And then when we, when we have this notion that crisis has come and now I'm, I'm, that there might be something that's, that's out of sync with the will of God, then begins the pointless scurrying to excessively examine ourselves and our circumstances so that we may find a way to extricate ourselves from it. We are not willing to conclude that the circumstances might very well be the perfect will of God. And so with contrary circumstances, which brings us to the third part of this uh, spiritual paradigm, this is the place, the juncture, the, the crossroads where God orchestrates or inserts circumstances that introduce uncertainty, extremity, or peril that results in fear. Jehovah is about to test King Asa's spiritual paradigm and prove it, you know, test it like metal, like gold is tested in the fire. God is about to prove it to confirm that what Asa believes about God is in fact accurate. That is, Jehovah is about to test the paradigm and confirm, again I say, that it meets the divine standard. <laughs> so whatever you believe about God will be tested, my friend, to see if it is in fact accurate, like Job's friends. <laughs> Another story for a future paradigm. So let me ask you this question. Does what you believe or I believe about God and his ways fit with what he reveals about himself and his ways? Verse 8 is the transitional point because it begins a cataloging of, of King Asa's military size and skill set. Uh, among his army, the target, those who bore targets and spears and bows and shields. And he had a total of 580,000 men who were ready for battle. And this is noteworthy because the enemy, that is Zira and the Ethiopians, presented a stark contrast. When Zira came out against King Asa, it was with a million-man army, 300 chariots as well. And clearly, King Asa was outmanned and outgunned two to one. And when the odds are, are stacked against us, that is the point at which we are willing to examine what we truly believe about the nature of God, his will, and his ways. When the odds are against us, when it is clear we are outmanned and outgunned by this trial, it is that point at which we begin in our hearts to examine what do we really believe about God, his nature, his ways, his workings. And then add to that, our lips and our emotions, our conduct, 
will either at this very juncture confirm that our paradigm is accurate or it, uh, those behaviors and words will betray us both to ourselves and to the onlookers. Oh, my friend, this is critical at this crossroads because you will see and I will see what we really believe about God when trial comes. James could say, count it all joy. But I assure you, if we were to, to uh, uh, examine ourselves and interview believers, many will say, you know, I have to admit when trial comes, I fret, I fuss, I worry. There is very little rejoicing. But for King Asa, we now come to the awareness of God's presence. Here is the point at which the metal is tested as it is placed into the fire. Oh, yeah. King Asa stepped up in a grand way. You see, we learn and we, we, we'll see in, in Peter as we, we'll come to it a little later, but the fire reveals what impurities are there in the metal. It causes it to rise to the surface. And very often trial reveals to us what is unsavory, not only to us, but if we see it, certainly to the God whose eyes are holy, we will begin to see just how double-minded we truly are. Just as James declares in James uh, chapter 1 and, and, and uh, verse uh, 16. Okay, he's, James, you know, you can't read the book of James uh, with a great measure of comfort because, you know, James really goes to the heart of of what it means to live as a, as a, as a Christian and, and how, to, how to deal with trial. Uh, he says, quite frankly, okay, uh, that he that doubts, you know, in the, in the midst of trial, for example, if we lack wisdom, let us, let us ask of God, who gives it liberally. But he says, ask in faith, nothing doubting, because the person who doubts is like the sea driven by the wind. And he says, don't let that man think he's going to receive anything of God. Why? Because he's a double-minded man. He's unstable. Today he's for God. Tomorrow he's against. Today he's praising. Tomorrow he's cursing. And so there become in our lives, through trial, great awareness that we have a wavering heart, wondering if God will or will not step in. And perhaps many sinful secret habits are found out in my life right at this juncture when my faith is tested and the impurities begin to rise to the surface. And so our lack of trust in the compassion and providential care and willingness of God is not our stay. That's not where we're comfortable. We're not resting there. And all these sort of thoughts rise to the surface only to be skimmed and removed by the hand of God so that our hearts begin to align like the hands of a clock as it nears the midday or the midnight time. Both hands, short and long hand, line up perfectly at midday or midnight. And what happens at that point when our hearts are now directed to God like the hands of a clock at midday we are beginning to look to God with singleness of heart, fully 
I say fully expecting the Lord Jesus Christ to do and to show himself strong on our behalf. In verse 11, King Asa's response is clear. He knew where his confidence rested. And thus, crying out to Jehovah, he says, It makes no difference to you to help, whether there be much or no power. Therefore, help us, O Jehovah our God. And this is it. For we rely on you. This man, this paradigm was rock solid, accurate, perfectly aligned. He understood God's ways. God is not interested in my resources, but he is willing to help. And because he's not concerned about our resources, it is because he is going to bring to bear on our circumstances his resources. And he says, help us, therefore, for we rely on you. This, my dear friend, is the place where the reflection of the face of God is seen in the molten liquid of our faith that has been purified. This is when we know that the timing of the hands of our hearts, like a clock, are either in the midday position or the midnight position, perfectly aligning in clear trust in the loving willing, providential care of a loving God and our Father. Ah, my friends, this is the place to be. And so right at this point, this is, this is, where, <laughs> this is where the Christian takes the unconventional route, like the woman with the issue of blood, as I referred to her in, the, uh, in our first episode of God is Passing By. She said in her heart, if I but touch the hem of his garment. <laughs> There's no Old Testament scripture promise that says to a uh, believing Israelite that all you need to do is touch the hem of the, uh, of the, 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 the priest or the high priest and you're going to be healed. There's no, there's no premise for that sort of believing and thinking. But when it comes to faith, faith steps out and embraces the promise of God. It sees it as Hebrews says, Hebrews 11, it sees the promise afar and embraces it and confesses, I'm a stranger and a pilgrim on earth. In fact, my walk is not even like those who are on earth. (laughs) I am trusting in the living God to whom nothing shall be impossible. Whether he makes donkeys speak or he causes virgins to bear children or old women to bear children (laughs) or men made to walk on water or lepers to be healed or blind to see or the dead to be raised or even uh, demons to be cast out. There's nothing impossible to him. He can put a ball of fire and put it in, in ether and cause uh, uh, orbs to, to circulate around it. And on one of those orbs, he puts life. That's us on earth. Nothing is impossible to God. And so King Asa was at the place where now he was prepared to, last part of our paradigm, step out. And this is the key. When faith lays hold On the awareness and childlike reliance on the Lord, we step out with a measure of boldness, fully expecting God to do an impossible task or request that we've made of him, fully confident 
it is as good as done. And King Asa said, O Jehovah, help us, for we rely on you. We rely on you. And it is in your name that we have come against this multitude. Oh, my friends, this is the critical part of the paradigm of faith or lack of it. This is the place where we see ourselves and what we truly believe about God's working on our behalf. This can either be a moment of joy and a sense of invincibility in the name of Jesus Christ or abject humiliation in seeing ourselves and confessing our sin of rank unbelief. This is the crossroad moment. And King Asa was convinced that God is not concerned as to their numbers or their ability or their power. What he is concerned is whether or not King Asa, the men of Judah and Benjamin, or we are relying on any other factor apart from him. And King Asa clearly expressed his confidence in saying, Oh, Jehovah, our God, we rely on you. And we are in this circumstance in your name. His heart is perfect towards God. So, concluding some concluding thoughts. What does it mean to have a heart that is, quote unquote, perfect towards God? Well, 1 Peter 1, 6 says it. And Peter writes to the the, uh, Christians that are scattered abroad through Asia Minor, and he says that we exalt for a little while at present. If needed, we are put to grief by various trials so that the proving of your faith, which is more precious than gold, which perishes, though it is to be proved by fire. As gold is put through the fire to cause impurities to rise and to be skimmed away. So too our faith. The objective is for it, that is our faith, to be found praiseworthy of God. To be found not only praiseworthy of God, but to the praise and glory and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus returns, (laughs) will my life be pregnant with events that clearly showed that God was glorified because I, you, we, were looking to God in singleness of heart, a heart tilted in his direction, fully expecting him to do what he has revealed about himself. King Asa wasn't discouraged by the size of the army facing him. Nor was he dependent on the vastness or lack of resources on his side, as this makes no difference to God to help whether there be much or little power. The needful expression of dependence and expectation was and is the only prerequisite. The heart has as its placement complete reliance on God and God alone to the exclusion of all else. In addition to asking for help, King Asa also acknowledged Jehovah is my God. 
And then Jehovah is our God. He speaks for himself and his people. So there's a sense of ownership that we belong to him. I belong to the Lord Jesus. He has me in his hand. He is in the hands of the Father. None can pluck me out. There's a sense of ownership that I, we belong to him. He is the greater, we are the lesser. And so since he is our God, we come and face this trial in his name. It belongs to him. It's subject to him. This is what King Asa said in verse 11. And in thy name, we have come against this multitude. This is your fight. It's like Peter, when they were in the storm and the Lord Jesus is walking on the water and they see him and they are frightened. And he signals to them that it is him and speaks to them. And Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come. In other words, command me and I'll come. And Jesus says, come. The man got out of the boat and started to walk on water. Because he saw that the Lord Jesus has complete dominion over the, the, the winds and the waves, the elements of this world. Surely he can do the same for me. He got it right at that moment. He faced his stepping out moment. God is with us. And so when he stepped out of that boat, the only responsibility that was necessary was on the part of the Lord Jesus to make water as hard as earth. <laughs> and the man walked on water for however much time we are not told. We belong to God. And what is the end, of the, uh, uh, what is the end result of this heart being tilted in the direction of, of, of the Lord? Well, verse 12 tells us succinctly. It says, Jehovah smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah. This is the result of a heart that was perfect towards God. God now works on their behalf. And they're living, they're living uh, uh, witnesses of the grace of God, of the glory of God. Here is the Reader's Digest. <laughs> the Reader's Digest summary, as I would love to put it, of a heart that is perfect towards God. Huh? Let, let me just capsulate it, just boil it down. First, there's the recognition that God is willing and wanting to help. And this is the basis upon which my heart now looks to him, tilts in his direction. Secondly, I, I have to be willing to ask for his help, knowing that it is his heart and mind. It is his perfect will that he wants to show himself strong on my behalf. He's telling me, God is telling us, I want to do this. I want to reveal myself to you. I want to, if you will, marshal my grace and power and wisdom for you, for your benefit and blessing. And there's a corresponding blessing to others as a result, but we'll get there if we have time. Thirdly, my capacity is irrelevant. It is irrelevant. It has no consequence before God because his objective is to show himself, his capacity, his ability on my behalf as my helper. And fourthly, I'm willing to acknowledge that I belong to him. He loves me. God loves me. I don't deserve that love. <laughs> It resulted in the death of his beloved son, but I am so happy that he loved me to the extent that he gave himself for me and acquitted me of my crimes against God and indwelt me, seals me by his spirit and now reserves me for glory and walks with me in my, my life. And lastly, 
Knowing that he desires to be my deliverer and helper, I go forth with the full expectation that he and he alone will help me. So what's the result? Well, the scripture says that the Jehovah smote the Ethiopians before uh, Asa and before Judah. And not only that, the enemy was crushed before uh, um, uh, King Asa and his army, but they carried away much spoil and they smote all the cities around Gerar for the terror of Jehovah came upon them and they spoiled the cities. They routed the enemy fully. But here's, here, here's the, as I was thinking about this, it came to mind, well, is that just for me or do others benefit from this? Well, that's a logical question. What's in it for me and what happens when my heart is turned towards God completely? Well, King Asa received a prophecy from the prophet Oded. And essentially this prophet gave uh, King Asa, a brief history of Israel when they were without God and a teaching priest and the word of God. And, and they had troubles. And in their troubles, they turned to Jehovah, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found of them. So imagine that. They turned to God, and he revealed himself to them. Hello. <laughs> this is one of the major benefits. When I turn to God, he's going to reveal himself to me. He promises to do that. But I have to turn. So in their trouble, they turned to Jehovah, the God of Israel. They sought him and he was fond of them. And then he exhorted Asa to be firm in his faith in God and to be diligent in the work. Two things. Keep believing as you have been believing about the ways and purposes and mind and will of God. Don't change it. And what your hands find to do, be diligent in it. For there's a reward at the end. And we are told that Asa embraced what he heard, took courage, put away the abominations out of the land of Judah and, and Benjamin, and renewed the altar of Jehovah. Essentially, he turned with his face and heart fully in the direction of the Lord. <laughs> now, you say, is that as far as the effect goes? No, my friend. This also has an effect on the other tribes, because the scripture tells us that there fell a way to him out of Israel in abundance when they saw that Jehovah his God was with him. <laughs> Translation, when God is with you, everybody's going to see it because your life will shine like a light. Previous podcasts about salt and light. We are the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. We are sprinkled everywhere. You can't hide light. And when a man or a woman is walking with God, it is clearly evident. <laughs> you don't have to be preachy about this. <laughs> your life speaks louder than your lips. But your lips confirm your life. So bottom line is, because of Asa's faith, because he knew and understood this paradigm and lived it, and he was exhorted to not change it, and Judah and Benjamin with him, this affected the other trials. I'm sorry, the other um, uh, trials, I'm thinking of trials, the other tribes of Israel. And there fell out of those tribes in abundance other Israelites when they saw that Jehovah was with him. This man's life impacted others, although that was not his intention. This, my friends, is the effect of a life with a heart turned towards God. 
This occurred within a five-year span after the 10 years of rest. And then Zira, the Ethiopians, came against them. Within five years of that event, all the other tribes were beginning to see <laughs> that revival comes. Yes, because we are praying, but yes, because we are living it. We are walking with God. And in this five-year span, this man was able to see the great hand of God at work in his life, his kingdom, the, the influence that he had on the other tribes surrounding him. And this, my friend, is the effect when your heart and mind is waiting for God to come by our home, our doorsteps. Oh, my dear friends, I am praying by the grace of God and the loving providential care of our Father that for Jesus' sake and for the glory of his name, when we quiet our hearts beside still waters, that we will earnestly seek the face of God to help us and to keep our hearts tilted in his direction, waiting upon him, trusting him, beseeching him, asking him to use his divine resources of wisdom and power and might and understanding for our blessing and benefit and help and for the corresponding benefit that overflows to those around us. May God help this to become a reality for you and me as we seek to walk with God beside still waters. Thank you for joining Besides Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Besides Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in. And we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.